Hey everybody, welcome to Spin is a Four Letter Word. This is John Maroon, uh, the Maroon PR podcast, all things PR, marketing, etc., etc. Joining me as usual is Matt Williams. Hey Matt. Good to see you, John. Today's a fun one. Um, Michael Ortman, executive, baseball fan, turned best-selling author. Um, you know, we had the pleasure of working with him on opening day 50 for 50, his new book, um, 50 Straight Opening Days. It's blown away. Mike's got a great personality. He's got stories. Somehow he captured these. I don't know how he pulled that off. Yeah. I mean, it, it's remarkable. And, you know, you, you sit and think about the fact that it, it do anything for 50, 50 times, it, you know, annually is very tough to do. You know, even, f- you know, family reunions don't happen like that. Well, so. whiskey, whiskey yeah. sometimes <laughs> That's is easier. True. That's that sort true. Of thing. <laughs> Rounds of golf. But, but 50 straight opening days is really remarkable. I think he's got Calvin's got nothing on this guy. So without further ado, thanks for listening, guys. And you're going to enjoy this. Mike Ortman. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is so cool. I, I don't think people um, uh, really have to give this much thought to realize how the enormity of this project. 50 straight years, 50 consecutive opening days. I mean, when you were putting this together... How on earth did the memories come flooding back and, the, and, and, you know, and the research that you had to put into this beautiful book? You, you just said the right word. Research went into this to help fill in all the gaps. I'd love to tell you I have notes and diaries and ticket stubs and all these incredibly Palmer-esque memories, as it was once called, but no. Um, did an awful lot, thanks to great folks at places like Sabre.org and BaseballReference.org and .com. And, and there's just so much great material out there that helped fill in the details or confirm what I think I remember, but I wasn't sure. Oh, that was this year, not that year. You know, right. it took a few years of building out this big spreadsheet with all these details in it that uh, became the table of contents for a book. I just think it's remarkable. I mean, reading through it too, there's several opening days that I personally remember. But, you know, you go through it, and Mike, as he just alluded to, not only does he tell a story about each 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 year as a chapter, but he, there's also, you know, a companion website. It's openingday50for50.com. Check it out because you go in there, it gives you the box scores, it gives you more information, it gives you links to buy this book, and um, it's, it's just doing wonderful things. So, Mike, I... I'm, I'm guessing this kind of started as a pro- passion project, but then kind of turned into something. You're, you just made the uh, Amazon bestseller list. This is my first book. I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to write it and see. I told my wife many, many times as she labored through listening to me read every chapter out loud. I said, I don't know if anyone's going to buy it or read it, but I'm going to have a lot of fun writing it. And I did. And then the business of trying to get this done starts kicking in. And, you know, it was the COVID pandemic that stopped the streak and I had to, get this out by opening day. And I had real deadlines and I wasn't going to take the time. I didn't have the time to peddle a manuscript to find a publisher. So instead I, I self-published it and then I had to make a lot of decisions along the way to get it done and get it done fast. If you're a baseball fan, you have to read this book. I mean, seriously, it's, you know, it, it, because it is, it's Mike's memories, but it's, it's, it's a history of baseball in, encapsulated a bit, you know, it's not everything, of course, but it's, 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 it is. You know, Matt, it's interesting well, along the way. Um, I had an editor who's not a baseball person, but really did a great job editing it and, and mm-hmm. meeting with we wanted. And she, her first reaction was this book is very dense. <laughs> and I wanted her to dig down to what she was like, am I dense? What am I missing here? And she said, no, no, there's just a lot of stuff in here. And it gave me the idea to go spend the extra pages to put an index in the back of this book because there are 750 people and places 
crammed into a 270 page book. It's really a lot of stuff. And yeah. 50 of them are Hall of Famers. Future, well, who Correct. were future Hall of Famers at the time, or That's current right. Hall of Famers. I mean, um, it must be kind of cool because everybody's got an opening day story, mm -hmm. right? Whether you did it once or whether you do it every year or whatever. Um, are you starting to hear those things? Like when you're at signings or you're meeting with people or you're doing interviews, are you, are you starting to hear people tell you their opening day story? Heard them all along the way, John. Absolutely. Yeah. People just, the minute they would read it, you know, uh, Phil Wood helped on some of these. And of course he couldn't resist the temptation of reading my chapter saying, okay, this is right. This is wrong. And now let me tell you the story that I have about that. And it, it came from everybody that I talked to about this book. They all have their story. And in fact, you mentioned the companion website earlier. In there, we give fans an opportunity to share their story if they would like. And who knows, that may be the next book, the next 50. If I take fans' stories and yeah. put that same level of research into that game, we'll see what the next one's going to be. But I'm, I'm having fun with the first one. We're with Michael Ortman. He is a best-selling author. His new book, Opening Day, 50 for 50, chronicles his journey. 50 consecutive years going to opening day, which still I say it, I laugh a little. It just kind of boggles my mind. Um, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ask this, Mike, but like of all these memories that come flooding back, like is there a couple that are really, really stand out to you more than others? A couple. Obviously, it was there, uh, the opening of Oriole Park in 1992. That's very special. The opening of Nationals Park in 08. But when you're a Washington Senators baseball fan, as I was a little boy, and then you have the, your favorite thing in the world taken away from you when you're only 11, and the Washington Senators go off to Texas to become the Texas Rangers, it leaves a hole, a big hole. And that hole stayed that way for 33 years. And any fan of any team that's ever left town can relate to that. So by far, John, the most memorable was in 05 when baseball came back to Washington, D.C. I actually got a little chills when yeah, you yeah, said yeah. that. Like, I remember that so vividly. Like, for you, because after that, you know, I think a lot of Sanders fans gravitated up here. And I know you, most, many of your opening days were here in Baltimore. Um, but for you, when, when the team came back, when it was named and awarded and all that good stuff, were you immediately like, hey, I love the Orioles, but I'm a D.C. guy and I'm back. I'm with these Nationals, however the hell they're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I wrote a letter to the editor of the Washington Post that's in the, in the book, Chapter 2005, where I, I said, I used to go to Rinaldi's cleaners and, and try on the senators' uniforms when they were there getting laundered as a little boy. And, and uh, my banner was on the front page of the Washington Star and my dad and all these things. All those things are gone now, but baseball's back. I'm going to bring his grandchildren to the first game uh, next spring. And sure enough, uh, we were there. Four, four rows from the roof, but we were there. <laughs> That's amazing. Mike, take us back a little bit to what it was like to go to opening day for a senators' game. I mean, you know... No, there's not a lot of, especially younger fans, that have any idea what that was like. I mean, what was it? What was it like at the park? What were what were, what were opening days like in D.C. and for the Senators? Well, the opening day in Washington was the presidential opener. Right. The president of the United States was usually there throwing out the first pitch, and it was a big event, and it was sold out, and it didn't matter that the team was dreadful. Mm -hmm. Washington D.C. hadn't won a World Series since 1933, <laughs> but by golly, the president was going to be there, um, and it that made it a big deal. My dad wasn't a baseball guy. He was a big event guy. Mm. And so one day he shows up at school at lunchtime and says, let's go to opening day. And he knew I loved baseball. He didn't, but I did. And off we went for the next couple of years. But it was fans would line up outside the stadium the night before to buy the last few tickets, always packed house, no matter what the weather. Um, Ted Williams was the manager of the Washington Senators, 1969, 70, 71, and then continued with them when the team went to, to Arlington. But um, 
it, it was a big event. Yeah. The rest of the season wasn't, but right. that one day, unbelievable. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll tell you what I like is, you know, this uh, public relations podcast largely, and we l- really enjoy the media. We work closely with media and have Matt and I got some rings in us, and we've been working with media for a long time. But I like in the, the book that there's a lot of homage to media members and a lot of clear respect that you have for them. In fact, one, one chapter, uh, it was a Ken Rosenthal column um, that you really enjoyed about that he wrote on opening day that you reprinted that really resonated with Ken to the point where he ended up tweeting about this, you know, Timmy Kirkjian, it resonated with you, you know, Harry um, Callis, you were, you know, around and, you know, there's a lot of things to talk a little bit just about your admiration for great baseball journalists through the years. Well, baseball, the pace of the game has a cadence that is such that it, it lends itself to storytelling. And that's what we try to make this book is, yes, there's 50 games. There's also 50 stories that aren't necessarily about the games. Because I grew up reading the likes of Tim Kirchin and Ken Rosenthal, who wrote in Baltimore, or t- Tom Boswell, who wrote in Washington, and many others, that went on to big national stage in baseball media. But they cut their teeth here. And we were very fortunate to um, be able to be fed by these greats. Uh, in 1981, John, I sat coincidentally right behind the great David Israel, who at the time was the right. top of the trade. Little did I know until I catch up with him 40 years later via social media that that was his last day in Chicago. He had just left the Chicago Tribune. He was having a big going away party that night with, that hosted by Bill Veck, and off he went. But he was the top of the business, and, and, and we got to be fed by him when he was writing for the Washington Star and then later the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, that's really cool. So you mentioned Chicago. You spent some opening days in Chicago. I did. So there were many times the strike, the streak should have ended. <laughs> and when I went off to college, I went to the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, and there was not a major league baseball team within 100 miles. So it's over. So I'm only about you know, 10 years in at that point. When I have a friend who says, well, I'm a White Sox fan, and he had the two things he needed most in life. He had a f- passion for baseball. And he had a car. <laughs> so off to Chicago, we went to Comiskey Park, which was totally different than RFK or Memorial Stadium. It was in a neighborhood. And there were bars and there was nightlife. It was just very yeah. different and very cool. Um, and so I did the Comiskey Park for three years. Fell in love, back to your members of the media, with Harry Carey, who was the voice of the White Sox at the time. Just irreverent. You had to love a guy you know, hanging out of the press box with a beer in one hand and a microphone in the other and singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, did that for three years and then off to Wrigley Field. Harry went to the north side. I followed him. My friends wouldn't, and they were White Sox fans, but we found a different friend that was a Cubs <laughs> fan uh, and got, got up there in 82 and then back to Baltimore for 83. Uh, you're, you're a remarkable streak, ended in 19. Uh, we, uh, we're on to a new streak. Uh, how, how's that going? Well, unless I live to 111, I'm not going to do 50 straight years. However, if I cram two or three in every year, I went to three opening days this year. I went to one in Philadelphia for the first time, which was fabulous. In fact, had the complete... Fluke, I walk in, uh, there's a little crowd gathering near Harry Callis's statue. Oh, that's cool. And I realize his son, Kane, is about to sing the national anthem. And so he's done. I go up, I introduce myself to Kane Callis to express my condolences. I was there 13 years ago when his dad died on opening day at Nationals Park. And I also went to opening day this year in Baltimore and in Washington. So I got, wow. three, got three this year. Yeah, it's only right. going to take me a little while to get back yeah, to the 50. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can, you can do this. It'll yeah, be, uh, that's true. It'll be a that's grind. <laughs> I, I wonder, too, um, lots of people try to write, write books. A lot of media people try to write books. If you could tell media people that are thinking about writing a book, what's the three things they should know right now? 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> decide early on if you're going to do it yourself or, or get a publisher. Mm-hmm. And peddle the idea up front if you're going to get a publisher. If you're going to self-publish, have confidence in your work and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, seek counsel from friends along the way. Every time you look in a mirror, that, that's a really bad editor. <laughs> um, but there's other people that will give you really constructive feedback along the way. Yeah. My wife, as I mentioned earlier, sat through every chapter. <laughs> Um, there were two other close advisors that read every chapter. And then as I got to certain ones, I would enlist specific help on those. And the more people you listen to, good, but stick to your convictions. Yeah. Got it. You know your material better than anybody else. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you're the expert. Yeah, That's right. Definitely. We always definitely. tell our guys that too. Mike, so you got a few signings coming up, don't you? Do. Tell um, us about those. Uh, Phil Wood suggests that I contact the Ivy, or the Ivy Bookshop in Baltimore, and uh, they jumped right over this. They thought that was a fabulous idea, so we'll be doing one with the Ivy Bookshop in Baltimore on uh, the night of July 7th. Um, I got one coming up at Notre Dame. That was on my bucket list. I a lot of friends that I went to Notre Dame with that went on and wrote sports books. Uh, now that I've done one, they've asked me to do a signing the weekend of my 40th reunion on June 3rd. I'll be in the Notre Dame bookstore at two 30 in the afternoon. Nice. Nice. Very exciting. Very cool. That is very exciting. Yeah. Go Irish. Um, <laughs> hey, so real quick, before we let you go, just, uh, finally, like what's next, Mike? I mean, you know, you weren't an author a couple of years ago and now you're a best-selling author. I mean, is there momentum here? Is there, I know you mentioned earlier, maybe a fan side of things, but like, are you starting to think in those terms about what maybe doing this again? I, I love telling stories and always have loved telling stories. The fact that it would come together as a book, I think let's let this one soak in for a while. And I think I would like to do more of this, but it's not, uh, I don't have a burning passion to do the next one, but, uh, but I may, let's see how this one does. And the book is available. We got an audio book, right? We right. got the companion website. It's available on Amazon, BNN, wherever, wherever quality books are sold. That's correct. On all the online book retailers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It went live on Audible this week. So I was very wow. excited. Oh, that is exciting. Uh, and one thing I've learned, Matt, back to your other question, I, the, the whole online retail oh, book yeah. business is complicated, gradual. It's not you flip a switch and everybody goes live with everything you want on day one. But little by little, we're getting there the way it's supposed to be. And recording an audio book, that's a, that's a grind, isn't it? Multiple takes, multiple days? It, it was. It took four days. I think we were 17, 18 hours in the studio. Um, he told me it would take a lot longer, but I, I'm the expert. I know this material. I did all the narration myself and all the different voices. I had a lot of fun doing it. But it took about 18 hours to bang out a nine-hour, nine-and-a-half-hour audio book. Well, check it out, everybody. Um, opening day 5050, 5050.com is the website. Check it out. Buy a book. Listen to it. Michael Ortman is a great man who's done a terrific job pulling these memories together. It's incredible what that you were able to chronicle this. I wish I could chronicle my adventures like this. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Spin is a Four-Letter Word. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe. Send us your feedback, too. We want this to be interesting for everybody. And give us a follow, at Maroon PR on Twitter and LinkedIn.